מרגישים קיץ באוויר. כבר עשרים שנה. מרגישים קיץ באוויר. כל רמה. כל רמה מאה ושתיים שלוש. מרגישים קיץ באוויר. שידור I'm Rabbi Ali Malamed in Highland Park, New Jersey, Highland Park Conservative, Temple Congregation, Anshem Met, and my good friends, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky here from Anshem Chesed, New York City, Rabbi Barry Chesler here from Salman Shaykh Day School of Long Island. We are in Pinchas. We're going to do Pinchas. Pinchas ben Alazar, ben Aaron Hakoin. Soft-mannered person. Those gentle man. Gentle, gentle human being. Kind of person that you, you could sit down really have a conversation with you know and he'll slowly and gently describe to you the error of your ways persuade you there's a different way I see him being played in the movie by Joe Pesci in Goodfellas <laughs> <laughs> describe continue <laughs> well so glibness aside he is not just prone to violence he is violent he's a killer and no matter how we dress that up at the end of the day he kills two people in the sacred precincts which is never is there any way to dress that i mean is this is this one of those things in the torah that we just we just gotta say okay i you, you know no, what's no defense it, of this? Or there's no. It's, it's, it's so it's so it's so difficult because first of all, the Torah, you know, Pinchas ben Elazar, Heshiva Chamati, Bekanod Kinati, Pinchas did a great thing. He restrained my anger. He, he sort of like a, a a cathartic gesture on the part of this one zealot that says, "Okay, okay, God, God says no. Now I don't have to to wipe them out." Because I was so angry, Pinchas diverted my anger. We live in a world, you know, so the, the, the Torah clearly gives him a round of applause. We live in a world where we are, should be completely acutely aware of the dangers of zealotry. Um, we are living in a, we're recording this at a, at a moment, we're recording this a little bit early before the, before the, you know, the parasha comes up, but there was just recently a series of terrible of violent zealotry acts against the Palestinians in the in the territories by by some of the settlers, which the army did not restrain. We we can see that there's violent um, extremism and zealotry that's a mess. But I would say two things. First of all, um, the the Talmud says quite clearly, Pinchas shelobrets on chachamim. The the sages who our rabbinic tradition is moderate. It is discursive. You persuade. You don't stab. Um, they're clearly uncomfortable with this story. But I'm just thinking as an American now, um, what is our relationship to John Brown? Okay, John Brown was an anti-slavery zealot. He was clearly the right side of history. He was clearly uh, committed that people should not be enslaved. And he was a violent zealot who killed lots of people. Like, do do we want to sort of applaud and say, uh, thank heavens somebody had the the courage to fight for the right and to resist the evil? And do we want to say, yeah, but you really should have been 
you know, less murderous about it. I I think what we often fail to come to terms with is the precipitating act. So we could put John Brown aside for another time, perhaps. But we have to look at the case of Pinchas. So the people are engaged. I think Milgram points this out in his commentary. This is the bookend to the Egel HaZahab. This is, if it had not been for the Egel HaZahab, the golden calf, at the beginning of the national journey outside after Egypt, this is the concluding great sin. And the fate of the people hangs in the balance because if they are entirely enticed by the the pagan women and the pagan rituals in which they participate, then this will end the experiment with it's Israelite over. religion. Right. And therefore, under those circumstances, things that we cannot otherwise imagine, it's not a time for reasoned reflection because that time is past. One can parenthetically make the same argument about John Brown. So he killed a dozen people, but the Civil War, which people were trying to avoid, killed half a million. Right. So he, or did he? I mean, there's always a price tag on things. And, you know, unfortunately in history, we only know what happens. We never know what didn't happen. And I think we at least have to raise the question is there another way out for the Israelites? short of Pinchas killing the two people. That's that's the the dead end that we're in. I mean, because the, the Torah makes this act a necessary act, and the rabbis and we have, have tremendous difficulty with this. As we should. I mean, religious zealotry is just, you know, so, so toxic. Um, and we see it in so many, so many ways in the in the contemporary world. No, no doubt, all through history. But um, when you when you feel, I mean, Barry is, is what you said about the the precipitating act. You know, obviously, we have an awareness that the Torah is told a story that that uh, the the two people, uh, Zimri and uh, Cosby. I mean, she's the Midianite, and he's the he's the Israelite. They are in this orgiastic moment, like it, it, was, it couldn't be less ambiguous, couldn't be more unambiguous. They are they are flouting all the necessary norms. They are rebelling, and they've done a terrible, terrible thing. And um, and so Pinchas has to rise to the occasion and, and stop them. And and maybe this story is implying that Moshe was getting a little old and a little slow on the draw, and maybe he should have stopped them, but he didn't do it. So Pinchas came through for him when Moshe failed. But the truth is that in almost every uh, human encounter nowadays, people should be a whole lot more ambiguous about the good and the evil and and not look at somebody and say, you are just completely horrible and you must die. That's that's the worst thing that religions can do, and that's all too often. So I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, this is almost like a wrestling match or a spectacle. This is there's a spectacle aspect to this, where the two uh, infringers of normality and morality are are taken out in a in a spectacle of zeal, and they're applauded by not only the audience but by God Himself. Um, and yet, so what happens to Pinchas? Pinchas is given briti shalom, which 
I, I want to read as this is a way to put him in a box, basically. He's, he needs to be, uh, this zeal needs to be sequestered. Uh, it's just too powerful. These people have too much, too much uh, energy, and they and and if they are they run amok in the community, nobody will withstand their zeal. That's what you do with zealous people. You so, what I would add I, kind of reminds me uh, in the, the violence aspect of the Supreme Court decision Bush versus Gore, because part of the decision was that no precedents would come from it, and I think what we have in the case of Pinchas is uh, an event that is one of a kind in which we cannot draw any conclusions for future events. In other words, we can't use it to justify religious zealotry because it doesn't speak to the future. It spoke only at that moment. Good luck with that. I mean, good luck with that. Yeah, because... You know, I, I know that I've done this many times. I'm sure we've all done this. When you want to break a rule, you know, you tell your congregants, this is setting no precedent, and good luck with that, um, because, because this is a story of a divine, you know, affirmation, and and I can only imagine that plenty of people throughout history, both in our religion and in other religions that inherit the Bible, Look at this and say, "Oh my God, I'm 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 seeing such depravity all around me." And you know, somebody has to stand up and shoot the abortion provider, or somebody has to stand up and do this or that. I mean, this is just it just produces. I, I don't see how a story like this it can really be safely cordoned off. And and as a religious person, the only thing that I can say is, and this is kind of what Elliot said before, you know, is that this just has to be one of those moments. Uh, in, in reading the Torah, that we say, okay, listen, this religious this religious history is long, it's diverse, and some of some of the times it goes down it goes down the wrong alley. And and so maybe there's a, a recognition that that we possess uh, some there's no other word some ugliness there's some there's some ugliness in in and some uh, we possess a moment of immorality in the Torah uh, and. Um, and it makes it it makes us all squirm, makes us all. Very- you know, in, in the in the midrashic tradition, there's a. I know this is in the Zohar. I'm pretty sure it's in the conventional midrash too. That that Pinchas who Eliyahu or Eliyahu who Pinchas. Yeah. There's like a Gilgul. There's a uh, reincarnation thing going on there. And and you may remember that uh, in in you know Kings Kings 19. Uh, it's got to be First Kings, right? First Kings nineteen, yeah. Eliyahu, you know, has this contest with the prophets of Baal, and he tells them to, you know, make their sacrifices, and Baal won't ignite their sacrifices, and Eliyahu does his sacrifice and douses it with water, and then says, "My master of the world, show your stuff." And God makes God ignites the the sacrifices, and in response, Eliyahu kills four hundred prophets of Baal, like. He's he's got him. He's 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 dusted him, and and he you know is 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 tremendously bloody, and uh, I think that whoever the authors of that midrashic tradition that that those two characters are one and the same soul uh, is really onto something. They're onto something. Okay, so let's let's move through the parsha. Uh, we're going to skip over the the details of the census. We're going to skip over 
the uh, the Tzalafchad, but not Tzalafchad episode also. But I want to focus on uh, this really tender moment, maybe a, a, a powerful, dramatic moment. Moses is being told, ascend these heights of Abarim, we're in chapter 27, verse 12, and view the land that I have given to the Israelite people. When you have seen it, you too shall be gathered to your kin, just as your brother Aaron was. For in the wilderness of Zin, when the community was contentious, you disobeyed my command to uphold my sanctity in their sight by means of the water. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, source of all, so the breath of all the flesh, appoint someone over the community who shall go out before them and come in before them, and who shall take them out and bring them in, so that the Lord's community may not be like sheep that have no shepherd. The Lord answered Moses, Single out Joshua, son of Nun, an inspired man, and lay your hand upon him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and before the whole community, and commission him in their sight. Invest him with some of your authority, so that the whole Israelite community may obey. But he shall present himself to Eleazar the priest, who shall on his, ha- on his behalf seek the decision of the Urim before the Lord. By such instruction they shall go out, and by such instruction they shall come in. He and all the Israelites, the whole community, Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest and before the whole community. He laid his hands upon him and commissioned him, as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Vayismoch et yadav, both hands. kasher, diber Adonai Moshe. So many layers to that story. It's tactile, it's touching, literally. Well said. Um, we'll it's, upon. it's a peaceful transition of power uh, and it's it's fraught with all the vulnerabilities of transition um, of, of and and what what would what does it mean to be Joshua after Moses and what is it what is Moses trying to do here Moses I give him a lot of credit you know there are lots lots of things we can criticize Moses for in terms of his anger in terms of yeah, other other aspects of his leadership, but the one thing that stands out here that I think we could comment on is that he wants succession, and uh, I, I guess well, he, saw, he was anticipating the series. The series, <laughs> you're only as good as your successor, you know, or so maybe this not. This is the Moses that you want. This is the Moses you want. But ultimately, I rather. Prefer for the Moses of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, where he does not take it lying down. His the, the the divine decree that he cannot enter the promised land. Here, you know, it's you imagine Moses saying, Oh God, aren't you just forgetting one thing? Who's gonna lead the people if I'm God? Now, if we think that God is the master of the universe, you would think that. God might have provided for that without telling Moses at the moment who he was going to do. So yeah. this is this is the Moses that we want. But Joshua, in some ways, is like the the rabbi who succeeds the predecessor who was there for forty years. Well, I, I'm one of those people, right? And it doesn't always work out. It it worked out for me, especially. Thank God. Well, one of the differences here, Elliot, is that. Joshua is only going to get part of what Moshe had by design. Yes. Okay. He's not going to be allowed to inhabit Moses' role. 
Well, look, that, that it's clear that that's the dynamic. That's the dynamic I play. At least, it, right. Well, you the, could not imagine taking your position all those many years ago. Yes. If you had been told, you're not going to be your predecessor. Don't even think of it. I was told exactly that. I was told exactly, you know, but but aside from that, you know, it's it's what 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 I want to, you know, latch on to and what you said is that, you know, we, we've studied this book thus far with lots of problems with leaders and lots of political problems. They've, we've had the Korach rebellion. We've had the vulnerability of, you know, the, the spies. We've had, uh, you know, lots and lots of different kinds of crises in which leadership has been called to question. And, and, and it is somewhat stunning, as you say, that, that this was not laid out beforehand. And then Moses has to has to beg God basically for the successor. It's in Moses's interest to have that because it's Moses is now identified with the people too. He he does love them and he does care for them despite the fact that he's not the person that you necessarily want to sit down and have a beer with. I don't know. <laughs> I, I you know we we we're we're um, we're talking about this parsha shortly after a, a, an interesting ceremony of. Uh, of smicha of ordination, we well, were present at the ordination of a, of our colleague Rabbi Jason Rogoff, Mazel Tov, um, and this passage was invoked as it is invoked in almost every ordination and every kind of inauguration or every installation. There's a there's a succession, you know, it invokes this story, um, and it only suggests that successions are vulnerable, that they can they if they fail, the whole project fails. If they succeed, it seems that everything kind of worked out and that's the way it always was supposed to be. Um, but rabbinic ordination, I think, um, carries with it all sorts of responsibilities and all sorts of, you know, hopes for the future, etc. To be present at an ordination, to be present at a rabbinic ordination, it, it's, you know, in Jewish history, this is, the, the the ordinations that we know and we have experienced are somewhat new in the history of of the Jewish people, you know. I mean, I, I doubt that uh, the Rambam had a had a big ceremony, right? Um, well, the, apparently the Mishnah Brewer got his by telegram. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> so so it's you know the, these ceremonies are you know tekes hasmicha, tikse hasmicha. Um, they're quite new, um, and yet they're very, very meaningful. But you know, go ahead. There's something curious here because Moshe filled a number of different roles in the Torah. He was the prophet, he was the lay leader, so to speak, and he was the priestly leader in the sense as well. So Eleazar is going to be the high priest after Moshe is gone. Yoshua is going to be the lay leader. But there's not going to be a prophet provided for. And, you know, in our tradition, we identify Moshe as Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the common way to refer to him. Moses, our teacher. Moses, our rabbi. And then Yigdal, you know, Rambam emphasizes that Moses was the greatest prophet who ever lived. So you would think that that role of Moses might have been provided for with a person as well. Interesting. Okay. Well, the the, the uh, I mean the, the the Bible 
Deuteronomy will contradict itself. At one point, Moses says, you know, don't worry, God's going to make another prophet come like me. But at the very end, as you're referring to, the very end of the Torah, it says, you know, that there never was another prophet who arose like, like Moshe. Moshe was is in class all by himself. Um, it may be the case that the, that the Torah wants to double down on what on what Jewish history will ultimately say, that only one person, Moshe, is the conduit for law from God. After Moses, nobody else gets to have new biblical deoraita legislation, but we have a vast uh, corpus of rabbinic legislation, things which are derabanan, as, as I'm sure our listeners know, we have two categories, like things that are taken to be the, the primary Torah rules and legislation, which comes from, from God to Moshe. But then but then we have the whole set of human contributions. And, and you know, listening to you, Elliot, talk about the rabbinic ordination. You know, there's, there's promise, there's responsibility. There's, there is an authority to interpret the sacred tradition. Like if you hand it over to, you know, graduates of a rabbinical school or graduates of a rabbinical program or in the more informal way that, that it was in pre-modern times that somebody you know, would, would the teacher would write to that the student so-and-so was was authorized, yore, yore, yadin, yadin, this person is 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 qualified to uh to teach and to rule. Um then you are saying that listen, we we rely upon you to interpret the sacred tradition. And that's really moving. Uh that's really, really intense. So uh, uh you know I feel I feel the burden of it and I feel the the tremendous joy that uh, that that's my life, man. I, I, I lucky lives that, that this is our job. So tied to that also, and and I'm not sure if if I'm able to read this back into the text, you know, to to kind of layer onto this ordination of Joshua, both the conserving aspect of the tradition and the innovative aspect of the tradition. You know, rabbis are given this this kind of mantle, literally in which they are the preservers, but they're also the experimenters and the innovators. And and I think, you know, all religious life deals with that tension. And specifically uh, within Judaism, we have that tension. And specifically within our movement of Judaism, conservative Judaism, we have we have a lot of adherence to tradition and a lot of adher a, a lot of initiative in terms of innovation, especially at um in times of change we you know we 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 are living through great times of change uh just technology i mean the fact that the three of us can sit you know in our respective places and have a chavruta and and record it and disseminate it is is un, unthinkable to uh you know not even a generation ago it's unthinkable 10 years ago i mean you know we it would never have occurred to any of us to to do something like that, and 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 we know how many thousands of lives are touched by this conversation on a weekly tens basis. Tens of thousands, tens of thousands. So, Elliot, you you talked so eloquently about smicha, and it's worth mentioning that smicha. There's a double-edged sword to smicha because smicha also refers to the laying on the hands of the animal before you sacrifice it, <laughs> which leads to the interesting observation that if your smicha, your ordination doesn't work out, you end up as a korban, a sacrifice. Right. Well, this is like the the, the, the line in the Gemara is, tefet, tefet le smicha shechita. 
Like immediately, the, as, as soon as you lay your hands on, then you got to slaughter the beast. So this is little did you know. And little did you know that all those years later, after you took that job, following the guy who'd been in it for 40 years, and they told you, ah, you're never going to be that guy. Well, they told me you that. You still are. <laughs> Do they still tell you that today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, not less so, because let's face it. Because uh, those people are gone. They're, they reside in the other shul. <laughs> <laughs> The upstairs show. Yeshiva show miles. <laughs> oh, but um, you know, uh, look for for all of us. It's uh, 1990, so we're we're coming on. For me, it's 1990. I was that was the ordination year. 30, 33 years. So we have a minute or two left. Yeah. Was Moses a success? And did Joshua succeed him well? Well, we're we're the living proof of that, you know. I, I think maybe the fact that that's the question the question is left to debate tells us that it is a success. Because, you know, do you want do we want Moses to be the Lincoln of of Judaism? <laughs> you know, we we would say that the greatest president. Okay, by by all estimations, he was the greatest president, except except to, to John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> <laughs> Who was a Pinchas? John Wilkes was a Pinchas. Who was the Pinchas? Okay, they hated him. They 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 absolutely despised him in his time, you know. But yeah, the, the greatest presidents were were you know I would say Franklin Roosevelt and 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 Lincoln and Washington, you know, uh, and plenty of people just hated him, you know. So for sure, Moses is a tremendous success. I mean, you you uh, obviously had his rocky moments. But he did out of slavery, <laughs> no, no pun. Leads people out of slavery. He leads them to the edge of the promised land. By the way, he, he he's the conduit of the Torah, and thousands of years later, we're still revering the book. But for Joshua, I just want to point out that uh, you know we we said I think before we were starting, maybe, maybe we said this on camera, but it was before we started recording that it's it's a religion of longing and not arrival. Um, which I think is quite quite correct and quite beautiful because to be a human being is to intuit that there is something transcendent, intuit there is something in, eternal and infinite in our from our posture of of being finite and being mortal. But there is another infinite and immortal element, and I, that's how I feel as a religious person. But we'll never arrive at it. It's, it as best as asymptotic. You'll get closer and closer and closer, but you never arrive. And and um, interestingly, Moshe. Of course, never arrives, never comes to the promised land. But also at the end of Joshua, the book will the book of Joshua will say, um, you know, and they had lots of military successes, but they never really root out all of the other people. I, I'm not recommending expelling all the other people who live in the Holy Land now. I'm saying uh, that the Bible's goal of the Israelites supplanting all the Canaanites is never attained. And at the very, very end of the book of Joshua, he has a covenant renewal ceremony. Sure. He get, gathers out the people and say, let's let's recommit. And I think that that's just the best. I think that's just so awesome because, because uh, you will always have unfinished business, unfinished journeys, un, unrealized dreams. And the best that you can do is recommit to keep to keep trying. And that's that's real leadership. I think Joshua is a, a big success too. That's a great moment. That's a great point to end with. That, that there's, there's, it's about recommitting. And I think also, especially since we're being broadcast to Ramah, it's a great message for 
uh, Rama, the striving, the, the longing, and also a, a sense of recommitment. And that's where we're going we're gonna to conclude here. We thank you for recommitting yourselves each week to watching or listening to Parsha Talk. We really appreciate that. And we look forward again to, to, to sharing some Torah as we conclude slowly the book of Bamidbar. In the meantime, everybody, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשרס אנחנו כל רמה 102.3 FM